Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. My name is Daniel Lazel, your host for season four. And in this week's episode, I sat down with Danielle Ellis, Will Suter, and Sara Lopez Segura to discuss mastering the art of creating engaging video, podcast, and webinar content. There's also a bonus section where Will and Jao Pinto share their best practices for post production. Well, Daniel, you have recently launched the new podcast. Why Why did you start in the first place? So we decided to start something about science because as science editors, we're really passionate about the communication of science. And we saw uh, a gap in the market for a podcast such as ours um, because we were having authentic chats in the office anyway about the science stories that we were passionate about. And we know that when others listen to uh, other people being passionate they, they really feed off it so we felt there was a gap in the market and we felt that the audio realm had been unexplored um, by us personally and we know that through ourselves through uh, us listening to podcasts and just the general um, zeitgeist that uh, podcasts are becoming more and more popular and audio as a form is becoming more popular as people get busier and people's day-to-day lives and working lives aren't strictly nine to five and strictly in the office. People are moving about, they're doing uh, two things at once, they're multitasking. So we really wanted to cater um, for those people and deliver science stories to them. So yeah, in those initial discussions when everyone was very enthusiastic about it, were there any objections to to starting the podcast, anything that you thought maybe this isn't going to work out, things like that? Yeah, I think the two main things were, firstly, the podcast market is really saturated. It seems like everyone and their best friend have a podcast these days. But that's also the thing that makes it really easy to do. I think, secondly, um, there's a lot of work before you even get started recording a podcast that goes into it. So you, that maybe would have been one of the um, initial pushbacks. Um, but if you are organized and have a set vision in mind, then... I don't think that's a real issue. Yeah, let's talk about that. A lot of work elements uh, side of things. Well, you probably got some good points here as well. What What are the things people need to consider? Like Daniel said, having a uh, having a sort of strong concept of what you want it to be about, uh, the kind of feel and tone that you that you want to go for, uh, the format, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it needs deciding before you start. You know, yeah, there's a lot of sort of meetings and discussions that go on to sort of brainstorm the various options like because it's because it is kind of a blank canvas when you're starting from scratch and it does help when you're making a series of podcasts to have some sort of defined voice for it um and yeah deciding that up up front is um is important uh the other thing is before you launch uh you really want to have uh your first several months of content kind of if not recorded then at least planned out um, cause that can be a big pitfall. You know, people commit to, oh yeah, we'll do a podcast every month and you have the first one and then you put it out and go, hooray, we've launched one. And then for the second one, you've now got like three and a half weeks <laughs> to, to get it all done. You're like, right, what's it going to be about? Like you really need to have like two, three, four months worth, like ready or planned out. So you know what you're doing so that it's like then easier to commit to that schedule and to stick to it once you've once you've uh, committed to it. And Daniel, that's what we had planned with this, right? We had three episodes ready to go for launch date. There's a little teaser that went out a couple of weeks beforehand. And then on that launch date, you've got the three in the bag. 
So then you can work on four, five, six, et cetera, et cetera, as and when they go The in. scheduling is almost twofold. It's firstly having, like Will said, the actual episodes ready, but also your sort of social media plan as well, because there's one thing, the podcast being put out there, but if no one knows about it, then, you know, you really need to have a schedule for social media as well and make sure that you're promoting the episodes in the right way. So let's talk a bit more about the distribution. What what was the sort of the key to the distribution? How do we make sure, or if clients thinking about starting a podcast, how do they make sure that... We've done all the work, hooray, we've got this amazing bit of content. How are we going to get people to to listen to it? Well, like I said, um, social media is really important. So one thing we do is we use audiograms, which are essentially small snippets um, from the episode, and we use those to promote um, the episodes on social media. And they're really great because they give uh, potential listeners a snapshot of what the episode will be about and really pique their interest because importantly they're only about 30 seconds long and as we know everyone's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter so that's really important and um, another important thing is sort of us as hosts promoting the episodes so people feel engaged with an actual person and a person behind the episode that they've they're interacting with on a device so for us as hosts to say look we're, we're the person behind behind the voice on the episode and it, we're promoting it it just helps the listener feel more engaged this podcast has got quite a unique format and they've got three hosts um what was the thinking behind that format uh what other formats are there that, that were that were discussed and that are available yeah, well, uh, like I said previously, um, we were having really organic chats uh, in the office anyway about how passionate we were about this, the content that was going up on our sites. So that was the thinking about three hosts and the potential to have a discussion. Uh, it's important to note as well as AZO Network, we are a network and we thought that the those discussions and that dynamic we had between the three of us was really good. We were aware of other science podcasts using different formats, such as one host narrating an episode, which is interspersed with interviews and um, other, I don't know, if, Will, you want to hop in with any other formats? Yeah, well, we've produced uh, some podcasts for clients as well. And those yeah tend to be sort of one host or moderator doing an interview, basically, for the most part just because they're kind of the easiest put, to put together. It's yeah. something that our clients will be doing anyway, is like talking to us about doing interviews with their customers or with people from, from the company who have you know, something interesting to talk about. Um, so that's an easy one. If we're already essentially doing an interview, like a lot of the interviews we conduct are done over a video call already. So like recording the audio from that, turning it into a podcast is not that much harder. Um, but as I said before, it's like a blank canvas. So it's, you know, it's whatever you want to do really. We've had... Uh, up to, I think the most was six people on a podcast one time where there was uh, a moderator and then five different guests. Carnage, basically. Yeah, that, that was like, there, there was quite a bit of planning there to make sure that everyone sort of had their time, had their five minutes to say their bit, basically, when you've got that many people and it's, it was going to be an hour long episode. Um, so yeah, it can be quite easy for one section to run away from you and to have for one person talking for most of it. But yeah, I think the the one host doing an interview is kind of the easiest format, but adding more people does, particularly if you're doing longer form, 45 minute hour long episodes, longer than that, uh, having more people to chip in does like help break it up and you know, add a nice dynamic. Like you're saying, when you, you get more of a discussion going between three or more people, like that can be really good. 
Yeah, so to expand on the format of something about science, um, it's three hosts, uh, myself uh, and my colleagues, Megan and Skylar, and we take it in turns to present each other different science stories that have been on our sites, and then we discuss them afterwards. And we found that that balance is really great because, one, we get to present the work that we do and that we're really passionate about, but secondly, we just get to talk and chat, and we feel like that's the part that people will really engage with as it feels like you're just listening in on a conversation which I think is one of the reasons why people like podcasts in the first place you know it's not like I mean some people do listen to news bulletins but it's more that that chat element and the relaxed conversational side of things that people really engage with and how are you integrating this sort of interview side to the podcast into that format so we've done it in two ways so for longer form interviews we've actually decided to introduce bonus episodes so an interview will feature as a bonus episode one's actually gone out today um and then another way of doing that is what i spoke about uh, previously that some other podcasts do where they sort of intersperse little snippets of interviews and we feel like that's a good way to get the message across of what was said in the interview without uh, playing the whole interview um, and then we can speak around the interview as well we had a pretty interesting discussion yesterday in the practice session about the familiarity of the hosts, the format, the day it goes out, how important is all that stuff? Will probably probably best for you for that one. Yeah, I think with a lot of that, it's consistency that matters. So, like, obviously, there's some differences in uh, you know when people are likely to listen to it, you know, depending on what day it drops. But the main thing is if you pick, okay, it's like you know it goes out on a Wednesday and it's the end of every month. You know, like if you pick a format, then even if people don't listen to it at the week until the weekend. Uh, they're expecting when it's going to come out. They know, you know, they get used to like, oh, this is when it comes out and they're not surprised when they see it. So that's why it's important to kind of stick to that schedule. And it's sort of the same with the format as well, you know, with the dynamic with the hosts. As long as you're all finding it interesting and engaging and like, you know, it makes the people involved keen to keep doing it so you can sustain it, then, you know, it's, it's, you can do whatever you want really, but making it consistent, you know, having some style that you stick to um, gives people that familiarity, so they know what they're, they know what to expect. So, sort of things like the introduction, who does the intro, things like that, is that really important? Because we were saying yesterday, it's just you can have the smallest change to something that you're familiar with, and all of a sudden it throws you off, and you're not, you're not used to it anymore. And you, it's not got the same experience after. That. Yeah, yeah, it really can. People really tie into the familiarity. You know, it's the classic thing for sort of people with YouTube channels as well, is that they always have like a consistent intro and outro. You know, they always greet people in the same way every time. Um, and yeah, people do kind of like keying into that. I think it's really interesting. So it's just sort of, you know, how your brains work when you get used to, uh, something that you're familiar with little departures that just kind of stretch the format that you're used to a little bit can, uh, that really makes you sort of engaged, makes you pay attention. So, you know, you're not just going to fall asleep listening to it. You know, it's, it's breaks out of the format slightly, but you don't want to stretch it so far that it becomes unfamiliar and it's like new territory. Like you still want to sort of hit those familiar points those familiar feelings that uh, that people are used to so overall having building a familiar format uh, that then every now and then throwing yeah. in a little little gem that's going to exactly. be a bit different to spark the interest setting the rules and then breaking them slightly breaking. yeah once once everyone's familiar yeah excellent like yeah. that um speaking of familiarity sarah the branding the artwork everything that goes into a podcast well any piece of content but particularly if you're going to launch a podcast series how important is that it's quite important because we are we are visual animals, but the first thing when we that comes to mind when we think about something, it's not words, it's just images. And you know that saying that says a 
painter paints paints a thousand words. It's it's quite true. So they approach me with a very clear brief, and that's what Danielle has mentioned about previous word that goes behind. <laughs> this was definitely one of them because they approach me with very clear three very clear drafts, and they explain what they wanted it, how they wanted it, the logo, and all the artwork related to feel, and what they like about each draft. And then I think they use Joao just as a, as a spokesperson once, <laughs> which which I really appreciate because it's just a unified feedback that comes to me with clear steps that Great. this is what we want people to see when they think about our podcast. So we I joined all the elements in Canva. <laughs> that's that's another point for another webinar, just Canva. <laughs> and then after a couple of versions that we landed on what we really wanted it to look like and what to convey different aspects of science all joined by a similar aspect. I don't, I don't know the technical name, but there's a, like a hexagon mesh that joins all the elements. And that is what we want people to think of when they think about our podcast. And then repeating the same look with social snippets. Exactly. Just maintain a unified, almost a brand uh, guidelines brand style yeah that was important to us in particular when we were picking a color because we didn't want to pick any of the site colors for anyone who isn't aware azo has so yeah <laughs> yeah exactly each different azo site has a particular color and um, we actually went with your favorite color didn't we purple, purple. um because we felt like that was a, a good color um and we noticed that a lot of podcasts were sort of using blues and reds so we thought why not combine the two make it purple um but another really important thing to note is when people are finding podcasts if it's not through word of mouth it's on social media first thing you see you don't even listen to the podcast you see the artwork first when you're scrolling through um, your platform uh, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts um, you see the artwork first so we put real importance on developing the artwork if someone's setting up a new uh, new podcast either the series or the sort of one-off episodes how does it work how do you get them on those channels um yeah so it can be quite complicated uh, to obviously there's there's tons of different sports, uh, sort of podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple being the main ones, uh, but also Amazon and like a bunch of other like specific ones. Yeah, um, how important is Amazon? Well, this is the thing. So, so the thing. way we do it, we use a service which essentially uh, distributes the podcast for you to all of those places. So you set it up in one place and then it just it trickles through to everywhere else. Uh, which is kind of how podcasts started originally. Anyway, they're built on RSS feeds, basically. So it's it's literally just you know a, a, a URL that keeps updating with new episodes every time you post a new one. So most of the platforms will just follow a central RSS feed, and they'll just automatically update whenever a new one gets posted. So the platform we use is called Acast, and there's probably half a dozen really good ones <laughs> that that work perfectly well. That's the one that we got because it just kind of suited our needs. Um, but that lets you uh, set up all of the kind of metadata around the overall show as well as around each episode, put in the artwork, all that kind of stuff, descriptions, tags, and then you can just schedule when the next one's going to go up and it automatically feeds out then to to iTunes and to everywhere else. So there's a fair bit of setup still for the um, setting up a new podcast, like a new show, because you need to register that RSS feed on the different platforms, make sure they're all going to see it. Um, 
and some of them take longer than others to approve it as well. This is another reason. Yeah, to I was going to ask: like, Is there any sort of approval stage at this when you're first setting up? Yeah, yeah. There's, some of them are more or less instant. Like it's a day, maybe two before before it's before it's live. Uh, Apple in particular takes a while um, because obviously the podcast started with Apple. Like the the iTunes feed is where you know, the first one. So a lot of the smaller apps will use Apple's uh, RSS feed from the podcast and sort of go off that. So Apple kind of. I think they take a bit of responsibility on themselves to do some sort of quality checking and moderation to make sure that it's not junk, that you know, their feed that gets republished is good quality. Um, so that can take uh, sometimes a week or two. Is something to bear in mind. So uh, what we did with this podcast and what it's always good to do is to actually make a trailer. You'll know, see a lot of podcasts, their kind of first episode is like a 30 second to a minute, maybe two minute trailer uh, with like, here's what you can expect from this upcoming podcast. And uh, the technical reason to do that, obviously there's sort of promotional reasons as well. The technical reason to do it is because you don't actually know when that when the first episode you post to a feed is going to go live because it will be once it's approved. So it could arrive on Spotify three days later. It could be on Deezer the day after that. It could have gone on Amazon straight away and then it will be on uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts within like two weeks. And then a week after that, it will be on Google Podcasts. So if you're trying to hit a release date... <laughs> That's not very helpful. Yeah. Um, so if you put out a trailer like that where it doesn't really matter, it's just going to go out at some point during the promotional period, then you can just kind of let that happen and do that kind of maybe you know, a few weeks, a month before you want to actually launch your first real episode. And then once that feed is set up, once your show is set up on all the platforms, posting your episodes is pretty regular. That's, that's much quicker. That just is a few hours. And is it, I know we, go, we spoke about this a bit before. Is it better to have sort of three to five episodes that go out at the same time at the beginning of a series or have a teaser, the first one goes out, and then release second, third, fourth, weekly or monthly I think, after that? Yeah, it's better to stick to the schedule that you are eventually going to stick to. So if it's going to be a monthly podcast, put your first three out every month to, to kind of set that in stone. If it's going to be weekly, same thing, put them out every week. Um, it is quite good to... You know, when people are looking at a podcast and to see that there's multiple episodes and if they listen to one and they like it, that there's, you know, there's more to go back to. So yeah, for that first period where there's one, only one or two there, that's maybe not as ideal, but it's more important to set that schedule because that amount of time will be negligible if you're going to run it for hopefully years. <laughs> uh, that will soon, you know, you'll soon get over that and setting people's expectations of like, it's going to be, you know, first Friday every month or, you know, whatever the schedule is going to be. Um, it's more important to to set that early on. And that schedule, just depending on what you can deliver, as opposed to yeah, we need to do this every week or twice a week. That's it. What it. You can deliver. Regularity and, and consistency is more important than the actual frequency. It doesn't really matter what frequency you pick. You just have to be able to stick to it. As long as it's good, people will come back. We spoke yesterday about some, we've done some projects where it's just been a one-off podcast. And then there's been others where it's been a whole series. What are What is the purpose of doing a one-off podcast? Particularly if you're going to go down the route of publishing on Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that, a lot of the benefit does come from having a series and you know, having people can subscribe to it and keep coming back and you have that sort of regularity. Obviously, if you're going to do one off a one-off podcast, there's a lot of extra setup to get get it on all those channels. And then if you're you know, for the first one, if that's going to be the only one, it's not really worthwhile. If you're doing a one-off podcast, uh, you can think of it more like an audio version of the webinars that you do. You know, So it's essentially you could... Uh, just embed it on a page on your website, put it behind a sort of uh, you know a, a form fill in if you want to, that kind of thing, and just have it as another piece of longer form 
content that people can, can engage with, but that's audio only instead of being a full webinar. So no one has to prep slides and do a presentation. And like Daniel was saying, like sometimes people just want to consume the audio anyway. I know with a bunch of our webinars, we make them into podcasts as well and put them out as podcast episodes too. If that's going to be the plan and there's no particular need to have a visual element, then you, know, you think of it more like that, do a podcast instead of a webinar, basically. Yeah. And you wouldn't bother with the Spotify, the Apple podcast for that. That would just be probably on your website. Yeah, and- yeah, obviously it's possible, but the benefits from that really come in the fact that you can subscribe to it and people get notified when the next episode comes out. You, know, you don't really get the benefit the first time. You get it when you've built up some subscribers over like the first three, four, five episodes, and then the sixth one comes out. And everyone that listens to any of the others gets notified that like, hey, there's a new one. <laughs> you know, that that's where those platforms come in. It really. looks cool though when you've got your podcast on Spotify. It does look cool. Show your mom and yeah, like, yeah. Hey, mom, check this out. It's <laughs> it's totally possible to do. It's just, yeah, you don't expect to get a ton of traffic and listens from those channels unless you're doing it over a period of time, is would be my advice. Sure. What about audio content just in general then? So if you're doing a standalone uh, podcast you'd like me to just embed it on your website i know we do audio versions of um all of our webinars and we give people the option to read watch or listen to to that content is it something we're exploring on news medical and on the other sites just to have like a, an article put into an audio file so that people can listen to it instead of reading it it's not something that we're currently doing on news medical at the moment but obviously as a website that features many medical um, conditions such as, you know, hearing loss and and sight loss, Um, exploring um, techniques and ways that we can help anyone who is, um, you know, visually impaired would would be great. It'd be amazing to have um, an audio version of any articles we do upload so that people who, um, like I said, have um, visual impairment would be able to listen instead of read and ultimately... Um, engage with our content the same way anyone else would. Yeah, I think it would be good for, like you said, Danny, when you do a webinar, obviously there's a lot of uh, preparation and effort that goes into producing that. So you want to have the written version and the audio version you know, to kind of get that into you know, to as many readers, listeners as possible. I think if people are producing that kind of high-value piece of content, and if they're thinking of the written piece first rather than the you know going the AV version first, it would still be worthwhile thinking about, do we do a podcast version? You know, if there's a some kind of uh, sort of feature interview with, you know, a really important KOL or something like that, um, if the, if the uh, interview is going to be done over the phone, then think ahead of time about why not, why don't we try and record that in slightly better quality and then do a podcast version as well? You know, that's, that's definitely something that would be actually fairly easy to bolt on to the process because it's already part of how we work. For for example, when we conduct interviews, if we're doing it over a Teams call, we're recording the audio anyway, and then we're getting it transcribed. So it'd be, it would make sense to just include the audio anyway, since we, since we've got it. Yeah, because like we said with with webinars, we do it for our internal marketing ones. Quite often, they're this sort of format, so they're sort of interview style, around the table discussion sort of thing. Uh, with most of the client webinars, it tends to be. 40 minutes of presentation, then a Q&A. So what we can do for them is we just take the Q&A aspect of that and turn that into an audio file because the presentation part without the display wouldn't be as relevant. It wouldn't make sense a lot of the time because um, they're talking about what they're showing on, on the screen. But you can take that big piece and then you've got the video file for the presentation, 
and then we'll make you a little audio file of your Q&A and then that's something else that people who maybe want, don't have the time to listen to the whole hour can take away that 15 minutes and quite often it's the most engaging part of the event that's and interesting. most interesting people get their questions answered because an audience question is what a lot of people who sat there who don't ask the question are thinking so they get their own questions answered and yeah it's 15 20 minutes long you can listen to it on two times speed or something like that and they've managed to engage with that they've they've taken in that piece of content so it's interesting interesting discussion i'm sure one we'll be talking more about in terms of audio let's move on to video content we'll start with you again what makes a great product video a great product video um i think the important thing with product videos is a little bit like what we're talking about with the podcast like deciding up front uh, what the sort of tone and the feel is going to be like. I think with a product video, you really have to know the audience. Like, who's it going to be for? Because a lot of product videos, um, unlike a lot of other videos, are tailored for people quite far down the buying funnel. The you know, kind of details about that specific model or specific product, people are probably already going to know, you know, specifically what problem they're trying to solve or like what kind of product that they need. Um, so it is definitely possible to make a product video for higher up the funnel, or you can get quite technical and like list the details of like, you know, the specs that you're going to need to make a buying decision. Uh, or it could even be like a demo of like, you know, for almost after sales you know, as well, for like, you've got the product, how does it work? You know, like, how do I use it? People that are that far down the process are already going to be thinking about that. Like, how's it going to fit in my workflow in my lab? There's a lot of kind of variables in there for like how you attack it. Whereas something like a, an interview video that's about an application of a product is always going to be more general interest. Um, it's going to sit naturally higher up the funnel with a product video. You kind of need to decide where it's going. And I think a lot of the time when they, uh, when they end up sort of disappointing, like people aren't happy with the product videos they've got, it's because there's a mismatch between the audience that they actually want it for and the the content and the style of the video. So trying to appeal to too many people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Trying to, trying to use it for every purpose. Yeah. And is that usually because of budget restraints or? Yeah. Or literally just, they haven't been through that process properly at the front end and thought about, you know, is this going to be a social media, let people know that this product even exists mm -hmm. kind of product video, or is it going to be here are the specs to know whether you're going to buy it this week or not? You know, like wh where are you aiming? And those are quite different things. What are the different ways or the different types of video that you can use to get those messages across? The sort of deepest version is literally a demo of how it works. <laughs> I think we always try and include at least some of that just because even if it's the higher end of the funnel, you want to see how it looks in use. You know, that's, that's always more interesting than just a static product. But the level of detail you go into is quite important there. You're actually going to talk through the steps of how to use it. Yeah, that's that's going to be, that's if you're going quite detailed. Is it going to be footage of the product at all or is it going to be animated? That's the other one that, you know, the thing that people need to think about. Often for, particularly for things higher up the funnel, or really it can apply anywhere, but often for higher up the funnel, like it's nice to have, you know, it can look more kind of engaging and catchy if it's sort of, you know, the 2D animated videos that we produce uh, that are slightly cartoony and a little bit abstracted. They can be really great for showing how it fits into an application as well because you can show the product in, a you know, a, illustrated environment that indicates the pharmaceutical industry or the polymers industry or something like that without having to go to plants and film them, which is usually quite complicated <laughs> in terms of permissions. <laughs> is there any pushback about the, the seriousness of a 2D animation video? 
Sometimes, yeah, people want it to be like, you know, technical. Um, I think for the most part, when people go down that route, they kind of understand the strengths of that format and kind of play to it. Like the point is that you want it to be approachable. Scientists don't just read journal papers like they are, you know, they, they consume content like anyone else. So they'll be drawn in by an engaging illustrated animated video uh, just as much as anyone else would be about any, you know, any other kind of product. I think you, you definitely can use it to go more technical as well and, you know, uh, to show things like uh, in like a demo style video, you can cut away into the product and kind of show like a kind of a schematic of what's happening um, inside without having to show any actual proprietary film of the inside of your instruments. So it can be good for that. Uh, but most of the time it's better to kind of play to its strengths and lean on the fact that, yeah, it's it's going to look, you know, it's not going to look that realistic. It can also help as well with if there's a product that you know is going to get updated at some point in the near-ish future, new industrial design or the software is going to get updated and is going to look a little bit different. Um, if we draw that in a 2D animation, you can abstract a lot of those details away so it will still be applicable so you can actually get more longevity out of your product video. It's a classic thing when people, you know, invest a bunch of money and time into making a video and then the product gets updated or the software changes or someone's in the video that leaves the company doesn't want to be in the videos anymore and they you know they all have to be re-edited and remade and it was a waste of time you can't use the video anymore unless you've got some dodgy photoshop skills and <laughs> yeah yeah although really obviously cutting stuff out and I'm like yeah it's, it's, it's a bad road to go down animating particularly for things like software that does get updated fairly regularly if all you show in the video is a really crude sort of animatic of a software screen with like gray boxes for a menu and a graph, that's probably going to look the same. You know, that, that will, you're not going to get people going, ah, oh, well, actually the new software doesn't look like that. You know, if you've used an actual screen capture of version four and then when version six comes out, everyone's like, this doesn't look the same anymore. <laughs> that can be a nice way to work around those technical details. So avoiding the technical details actually helps in those yeah. cases. Just going back to the, the demo video. So when you're doing a sort of a typical demo video, is it normally a sort of a two to three minute teaser where you're looking at the product, some B-roll involved, uh, music playing, that sort of thing? Or is it more, okay, scientist in lab talking us through every aspect of how this machine works? Or are they two separate videos and can you have both? That, that's exactly what I was saying before. They're, they're kind of two separate videos. So yeah, you can you can definitely plan to get both out of one shoot. Um but uh, for the higher up the funnel, here is this product, just make it look pretty kind of video. We'll almost always use some demo footage, but the exact details don't matter. We just want to illustrate how it looks being used for real. And we've done you know, plenty of that. We'll include that in pretty much every product video that we shoot. But we have also done the, the full demo type videos where it's literally walking through the whole workflow, um, going like, right, here is how you boot up the instrument. Here is how you set it up, calibrate it. Here's where the samples go. You know, like here's how you install different sample holders, you know, like every stage, all the way through to using the software as well, you know, walking through that and the process of like, here's how you set up an analysis. Here's how you do, you know, different kinds of sort of processing of the data. Um, there was one that we did for, you know, a, a full series of demo videos for that ended up being probably about an hour long in total. It was literally a full video manual, essentially broken down into like one to three minute clips of like doing each little bit like that. And that was for a product that's uh, pretty large and expensive. It was a, a small angle X-ray scattering system. So these things are like five meters long. They take up your entire lab. Buying that and setting it up is quite a commitment. Mm. <laughs> so, and it was quite a small company that, that make them as well. So it actually saved them a lot of time in like post-sale support. 
being able to hand that over to the customer and say, right, we'll help you set it up. But then if you need help, go here first and then ask us if you're still struggling after you've watched the videos and you know, it saves them a lot of time in the future. So on one shoot, we're talking full funnel here. So you've got the teaser sort of two minute video about the product, about some of the benefits. You can shoot testimonials if they've got people there who have used the product. The full longer demo, which can either be used either as a booker demo on a site or watch on a webinar or something like that. And then you've got the after sales support with everything that you need. Once you bought the product, oh, I can't remember how that bit works. Here you go, his video 24A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So you've got the full, from one shoot, you've got the full the full circle there. Yeah, that's it. You can totally produce that all from one video shoot if you've planned it out and you know that's what you're going to get. If you go in saying, okay, we'll, we'll film the demo video and then go, oh, could we get a nice little social highlight reel that's two minutes long that's just like, well probably but we might be missing some of the sort of hero shots because we were filming a demo video (laughs) so as long as we know in advance what the plan is and we decided like yep we're going to try and get both of these then yeah that's totally doable just a little note it's easier to work from the bottom of up than the other way around so if you if you've already took the effort made the effort on going filming a long format video i'm sure that during that video that you'll come to little clips and someone demonstrating and saying in this product that's amazing and you just save our lives in the lab why not clipping that add a little cta embellish it a little bit optimize it for social media and then use it a bit up the funnel it's harder if you just record a video for social media to then create to keep moving people up down the funnel but if you already have that long form of content why not repurpose it and try and attract more people from it how important is using authentic b-roll or does b-roll from sort of stock um video does that work as well if there's absolutely no other option or there's just copyright issues that you, you're coming across, then yeah, use stock video, but you're trying to engage with an audience. It's people, people by people and people like to see what that product exactly look like and what, what's the feel of how to use it. So using stock video just overall lowers a bit the quality of your, of your video product. And if you're going through the effort of making a, full video production it's always important to just use b-roll what about music (laughs) exactly exactly the same because and we were saying about the podcast aspect as well the music is only it's just what you got so these people are consume a lot of podcasts and maybe watch lots of videos if it's if you're using stock music it's more likely that they've heard it before and then therefore they think, oh, they're really not put that much effort into this video. They're just grabbing the first song that problem when you put corporate music and then just download it and put it in. So if you put, if you take that little effort and the, go that extra mile, it's going to bump up your video quality like greatly. What about, well, I think you said yesterday, what about when you take the music sort of almost first when you're doing a video and then work around that? Is that something that... Yeah, yeah. Quite often um, when you're editing a video... It's nice to have the music chosen early on because uh, that will set the tone and the pacing. You know, the you don't necessarily need, need to be like editing directly like to the beat or anything, but even if you're not doing that, it will still set the overall feel and it can feel odd then if you change it out later for something that's completely different. So again, something that's at least vaguely in the right sort of ballpark of the yeah the feel and the tone of the, of the music, uh, it's quite important to choose that early on and kind of Uh, decide that because it does make a big difference to how the whole thing feels are there any other types of video that we're offering now that's a bit different to things we've done in the past different ways people can sort of showcase their their work 
So talking about the 2D animations, one of the things that's been popular lately is um, to do essentially just a motion graphic animation rather than a full illustrated 2D animation. So with the traditional 2D animations, we're literally drawing every element of like the instrument and the background and like all of it and then animating that. If you have existing footage or if you ha- if you are happy, if it's a video about like a specific application, you are happy to use stuff from stock libraries, then for uh, usually like less cost, we can produce a video um, that is... Uh, that uses sort of nice text and nice transitions and music and voiceover if you want voiceover uh, to kind of tell the story of your product or your company or an application uh, without needing to actually film anything new or draw anything new, both of which are sort of you know, more time consuming. Yeah. What about hosting of videos? So we talked about this with the podcast, but a lot of work goes into producing really good quality videos and you'll get your file and you'll think, oh, that looks amazing. That's not really, not even half the battle. So what about, host? well, first of all, hosting it, where, where are the places to host a video? And then what about best practices for distribution? The classic places to host videos, YouTube, Vimeo, like they work really well. Um, you know, they're, they're popular for a reason. Uh, YouTube in particular, for some reason, is really well tied into Google search results. <laughs> Don't know what that's about, but yeah, there's a lot of SEO you can do on, on YouTube videos uh, with the titles and the tags to sort of uh, help get them into main Google search result pages as well as YouTube search results. The way we work is we, uh, when a video is finished, we give the client the video file and that's theirs to own. It doesn't have any of our branding on it. It's all, all, all in their brand. So uh, it's just fully under their control then. So yeah, sometimes clients do say like, well, aren't you going to host it and promote it? It's like, well, yeah, we'll help you promote it, but... If we host it on our Vimeo channel, which is where we put a lot of our stuff for kind of demo purposes, um, then we'll get all the views and we'll get the interaction and we'll see all the analytics and you won't. (laughs) So it's actually much better practice for the client to put that on their own channel that they own. And then any promotional material we do, if it goes, if it's going, getting embedded in content or if we're sharing it anywhere else, it will all link back to their channel. So all the all the views, all the interactions will go on there and they'll see where it's coming from as well with the channel analytics. So what were you saying the last webinar about short form videos and how they're now key in the sort of the ranking worlds? So yeah, tiny with what Will was saying, if you're uploading it to YouTube, which seems to do very well in Google, Google is also promoting short form video. And of course it's gonna prioritize YouTube shorts over reels or over TikTok videos. But if you if you're gonna upload that video, then it's a, it's a good idea to just create a little short snippet that you can use in YouTube and upload a short just to promote that longer form of video, and then use it on social media, drive it everywhere, because then it's gonna affect your SEO and it's gonna bump up the visibility as well. How much extra work is it involved if you've taken a sort of a long demo video to create a thirty second reel or snippet? It's not that much what goes into it, rather than choosing the right snippet and choosing something that is really gonna make people stop scrolling and stop consuming other content so as long as you have that aha moment that something or or a little teaser something that will drive people to want more or pique someone's interest then literally chop it up put it on social media and see what happens social media doesn't require that much of course it looks better and it feels better and bumps your quality if you put a little more effort behind it but you're not losing anything for just chopping a little piece of your video and putting it up. 
Um, so we talked a bit before about how important the music is in terms of when you're doing your videos. What about um, for the podcast? Yeah, it's almost even more important because you're going from a video that obviously has a visual element as well as the audio to podcasts that have just the audio. So the music denotes style, but also denotes the structure of the podcast as well. So if we're transitioning from like an introduction to uh, the main section of the podcast, it's really important to denote that with some some music or a jingle of some kind as well. If you want to lighten the mood a little bit, a quirky jingle is something that works really well. Doing what we said earlier about the issue with using some stock music, how do we overcome that? Are we writing jingles ourselves? Have we done that for for clients? What's the what's the story there? Um, so for the podcast, one way we've gotten around using generic music is by sourcing music from independent artists because that music is probably less likely to have been picked up from other podcasts um, and used in other audio settings. And obviously it helps uh, gain exposure for those artists as well. So it's mutually beneficial. We have talked about doing um, original music as well. Um we may at some point, there's a few sort of musicians <laughs> in the team, we may end up making some music for the podcast at some point. A few musicians um, and a few questionable singers for yeah. various Christmas parties. Well, luckily for a podcast, you only want instrumental music, so there's no karaoke, unfortunately. But yeah, no, we have uh, before done original music for videos as well, uh, for exactly that reason, you know, to get around the sort of stock music syndrome and sort of you know, use something completely new. The only kind of issue with that in terms of workflow as I said before, it's nice when you're editing a video to start with the the music kind of chosen, at least, you know, approximate music chosen um, so that you can edit to that and the flow and feel of the video can kind of go with it. The way uh, when we've worked with a composer, it's been uh, a case of finishing the video first and then sending them that to make the music after the fact. So that kind of changes the process up a little bit because as a video editor, you're not working with the final music. So the end product will be fine because the obviously the music's going to be written along with the flow of the video, so it should, should still match really well. But it's still a little awkward knowing as an editor that the music's all going to change at some point and sort of working that way around. And it does, you know, it also you know it adds another um, another kind of loop of uh, changes and approvals and everything to the to the process of making the video, which can by the time all the stakeholders have signed off and everything, it's going to often be a fairly long process anyway so like also having everyone happy with the music is sometimes it's sometimes easy just to be able to pick from a library then you can you know swap between two or three options quickly but what you're saying is it shouldn't be an after shouldn't ever be an afterthought the music is as in, not as important but is critical it's really audio visual uh, content it's yeah it's, really important. it's a really important part of the video yeah for sure it's as as important as uh other you know any other aspect of the content and the style yeah I think just to, just to wrap up, we talk a bit about the what we've touched on today, what we've touched on in millions of other sort of podcast webinars is that people are consuming content in different ways. This setup we've got here is essentially a video podcast setup. We're putting it out as a webinar, but we can repurpose this as a podcast as well. We'll probably put the video out on YouTube at some point too. Um, how, why is that so important? Because not you're not just catering for people that only consume video or people that only prefer to listen to podcasts. Even the same person at different times of the day, especially in the multitasking era, will consume the same content in different ways. Maybe maybe right now I don't time and I just really want to know how to do this very specific thing in After Effects or I just want a 30-second snippet or a little paragraph of how to do it on a blog. Or maybe I have time to sit down and actually learn how to do this more 
consistently and then I sit down and I watch a video on the same topic but in a different way or I'm just as as Danielle said maybe I'm just doing the dishes or I'm just doing some chores and I just want to listen and learn about this topic just more passively so putting your same content and giving the user an option to consume in the way, way that is not just right for them but appropriate for them them in that same in that specific moment of time is really important it's only going to help raise your engagement which in turn, is going to help your SEO rankings as well. It also helps um, kind of maximize on your effort. You know, doing something like this, obviously it's, you know, about an hour of our time plus the setup and the planning and you know, all that kind of stuff. Big pieces of content like this do take a fair bit of effort to produce. And it's nice to know that you're going to get the most value out of it that you can. You know, it's not just going to be one piece of content. You're going to get multiple different types of content and different smaller pieces from this, you know, this one sort of initial burst of effort. From different points of the funnel as well. Absolutely. So like what we were saying earlier, from one video shoot, you get all those different types of video. That's a day's day's work for you, some prep time for for the client to get things ready. But then after that as well, you've got the demo video, you could record, uh, you could take a presentation about that product, you could record that, you could get a key opinion leader to do a presentation about how they've used it remotely, you put those two things together, all of a sudden you've got a pretty engaging, interesting webinar. Um, so what we're trying to really get across here is that there are pretty much endless possibilities with any sort of audio visual content. Uh, if people have got other ideas and they're listening in of how things they want to try out, by all means, get in touch. We've got things to test over the next few months, like LinkedIn Live, YouTube Live, those lots of things for us down the line. So yeah, it's it's what we're trying, really trying to get across is that there are endless possibilities. And people are engaging content in different ways all the time. Uh, so if you've got good ideas, let us know and we can, we can work on them together. Any final thoughts from anyone before we wrap things up? Thank you for watching. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. Or reading. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we've replaced Sarah and Danielle with Jiao. Jiao, what about, so when you get all these files later on today, or probably tomorrow, what is your sort of first step? How do you go about the post-production? Well, post-production really consists of, of perfecting the product as much as possible after it's been recorded. I would say the first step is to collect everything, the video and the audio, and really look at the options we have and how much editing we can do with those options. What about the audio? So we've obviously got three mics set up here. If we're recording presentations over over the internet, often the audio quality can't isn't necessarily the best, even with a mic. What can you do post-production-wise to enhance that? Well, the principle with this is you can only work with what you have. You know, we, we're recording with good microphones right now. They're quite close to the sound source, so we can capture quite good audio. We can still improve it much more. I can, I can be speaking now and show how the audio sounds like without any mixing, any effects on top, and you can still see an increase. So when you record, for instance, in the case of webinars that are remotely recorded with, sometimes you don't have access to a good USB microphone or, or you need to use the microphone from the computer, there's still a lot that can be done. You can't perfect it. It will never be the same quality as using a great mic. But saying that, you can still do things that make it a bit more, the audio sound less harsh or more appealing. The most common things to do is, for instance, remove the reverberation of a room. If you're in a, a big room, usually you will hear a lot the walls. There's plugins and software that can easily, easily be used to do this. Uh, Audacity is a great free open open source software, but you can use other tools 
Logic, Reaper, Pro Tools. There's other types of tools you can use for this. There, you can you can watch tutorials on how to use them. So, de-reverbing the room. Um, I would say uh, equalization. So choosing. Sometimes there's harsh frequencies that you can remove. Often making sure the sound levels are good, which actually when when you record with computer microphones is usually the case because the audio gets compressed a lot. But I could be speaking right close to the microphone or away. That creates imbalances. So if you're editing content for a podcast, for a webinar, usually make sure everything is adjusted so that the audio sounds sounds. And are you putting even more attention when it's for a podcast because it's audio only, or will you be doing this for videos, webinars, podcasts? I mean, in all types of content, that's something to pay attention to. You know, even I would say, I started with saying de-reverbing, taking the reverberations or or equalizing. Those are actually quite special tools. Actually, the first thing people notice is it's really loud and now it's really quiet. That's the first thing you notice. If, if something is, is well edited or not, like, and it will actually put people off listening to, to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. If the, yeah, if the levels are inconsistent you know, between speakers, if you've got an interview where the, the questions are really quiet, but the interviewee is really loud, like that's straight away, just, you know, sounds unprofessional basically. Yeah. It's the first signal is like, is it all consistent mm-hmm. and is it, um, roughly the same level as other things you're listening to as well? You know, if you've been listening to other podcasts or watching videos, and you put something else on and you have to turn the volume way down on your headphones or turn it way up. That's like, oh, what's what's wrong with that? Yeah, there's something up. The platforms that you upload to will do a little bit to sort of try and normalize the volume between different things. But if yours is way off, then it's, you know, there's only so much it can do. What are the things that people can do to sort of counteract the sort of lack of equipment? So if people haven't got good mic, USB mic setups or good headsets or what have you, what can they do to sort of make the best of what they do have? Um, well, there's a lot of things you can do. I would say try to, uh, first of all, record in uh, a room that's not noisy. That's the first thing. Try to record smaller rooms that have, like, for instance, shelves that absorb sound are always good. Like, I usually say, go to, do you have uh, a living room with a lot of, like, shelves? Those are optimal spaces because it doesn't, the sound doesn't reverberate as much. Couches as well. Couches, yeah, exactly. Soft soft furniture actually helps a lot. (laughs) Exactly. So as much as you can, you know, before, those are things that can be fixed afterwards, but only to an extent. So the more you do to prepare, the better, the less work you'll have afterwards. And the more options you have, the more, the better the, the, the audio you get to work with afterwards. Same with video, you know, like if you, you could have the best cameras in the world, you record in a very, very dark room. You know, it's it's going to be so difficult to make something sound natural when in the first place these things are not considered. So those are, can you think of other things maybe with um, sound? With sound, yeah, I think one of the things is proximity to this, to the microphone as well. I think one of the one of the main reasons that a microphone like this that's on a stand sounds so good is because it's right here next to my face. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got a laptop that's on a laptop stand across the desk from you and it's, you know, you know like a meter or two away, it's going to hear a lot more of that room reverberation compared to your voice. Whereas uh, even if it might be a bit unnatural, if it's right under you and you're speaking directly into it, that will help a ton, even just using the laptop mic. Um, just because the volume of your voice compared to the volume of the room will be you know, much louder and it'll sound much clearer. 
Definitely. And I think the last must have, which a lot of people are familiar with this since the pandemic, we all do meetings online using headphones when you're recording something remote through your webcam. It can't be emphasized enough. People know this because of the feedback, but for recording, it's, it's, it's a must. You know, even though sometimes it can look odd, people don't like you know, showing their headphones or, or feel self-conscious about that, which is understandable, but it does make a massive difference in the quality of the audio uh, afterwards. It's it's a very safe... So if people have the bare minimum pair of Apple headphones, is better than just going with your laptop and, and trying with that? Yeah, I would say always, always use them. Yeah. So what's going to be the first step after this? in terms of how do you plan out the, the post-production? So, well, I'll just have a listen to, to the audio, have a, have a watch all the cameras and see what can be done with them. I'll also make a few content considerations. Maybe I'll ask uh, you guys, look, was there any topic that you thought this, this area, I don't know if we were that eloquent, those things can be taken off. You got to also remember, (laughs) (laughs) I don't like to to work with the philosophy of you need to cut a lot of things, you know, because content is content and it should be there and should be natural. It's a conversation. You don't want to take out the conversational feel saying that, however, you know, we're competing with people's attention spams and sometimes cutting down a lot of your content, for instance, vocal fry or moments where people are hesitating on what to say and maybe skip it to the next topic at the end of the edit, you can save about 10 minutes, 20 minutes of a one-hour conversation. And that does make a massive difference. If you that much. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It depends on the speaker. It depends on the conversation. It's not something you can generalize. But usually, you end up with about 10, 20 minutes of stuff that's been cut that you didn't really need. So as long as you do those cuts and you preserve a bit that the engaging part, the, the conversational tone, and you don't make it too abrupt and harsh because that's also has its downsides... Uh, I would say that's that's the things to prioritize, really. So plenty of work to be done there. <laughs> yeah, but but it's a pleasure to do it. Awesome. Well, and there. Just one final thing. So a question that comes up all the time, be it with podcasts, videos, webinars. When we do a project for a client, who then owns the the file? We'll probably best person to come to this. Yep. The way we work is uh, the client owns it. Basically, yeah. You know, we try and particularly with the videos we produce, like we remove ourselves from the process. Yeah, you know, from the final product as much as possible. All the branding is the clients, and the final file we just hand it over as an MP4 file, ready to upload to wherever they want to. Yeah, you know, there's no kind of um, there's no need to credit us or anything like that. You know, that's that's all kind of just handed over. And I know it's kind of the same with the webinars. Yeah, you know, the webinar is their topic, right? It's their you know it's their product or their interviewee, like whoever's talking about it. We're facilitating the process and we're handling some of the technical stuff, but it's not our product that we're talking about. So why should it be our branding? You know? yeah. And do we share the original file so if they can want to do further edits and things like that, they can do? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, just because most people don't want to spend the time, that's why they've asked us to help in the first place. So, you know, it's not a standard thing, but we keep we keep everything on file all the time anyway. Like we've never deleted a video project. Uh, we've got something like 10 terabytes of footage that's, <laughs> that's archived. Um, so yeah, like we, we can always like dig stuff up or do more editing later if people want to do that. But if people want to take the video files for themselves and that's absolutely fine as well, we've handed over uh, yeah, Adobe projects or just uh, sort of renders of the raw files so that people can put, put stuff together themselves. Awesome. Will, Joe, thank you very much. Thank you, Danny. Thanks, Danny. A big thanks to all the team for sharing their time and expertise with us all today. 
If you've enjoyed listening, then please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider, sharing the episode on social media, or with a colleague you think might also benefit from listening. This podcast was edited by Jao Pinto and brought to you by Azo Network. We'll be back again soon with more special guests for the marketing science community. We hope you can join us then. And until next time, take care and thanks for listening.